Well, good morning, everyone. You're tuned to Community Radio 3CR. Time is just after 7.30. And, of course, it's Sunday morning and time for the 3CR Gardening Show. My name's Pam Vardy. First up, of course, a big hello to Stephen Ryan from Dick's Only Rare Plants. Good, good morning. morning, Pam. And it looks like it's going to be a lovely day. So it's a good day once the garden program's over to get out into the garden and do stuff. You know, because autumn is almost upon us and, you know, things are happening in the garden that you need to deal with, um, you know, the well, last... Well, the days are shortening. Yeah, oh yes, yes, it was dark when I got up this morning. Yep. Mm, yep. Here we go here again. We go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, I've been sort of tidying up the garden because we've got a garden opening coming up in a few weeks' time, so uh, every spare minute is, um, right. is taken up with being out in the garden and there's raking... It's amazing how much litter comes down in the late summer, early autumn when things are starting to dry, you know. Yes. Apart from the blasted manor gums dropping bark all over the place, which is just a nightmare, um, there's all sorts of stuff coming down. So there's lots of cleaning up to do. Um, fortunately, I got on top of the weeds earlier in the season, so there's not enormous amounts of weeding to do. Um, but there's lots of sort of fiddly deadheading and and mm. pulling things back into place and pruning things off paths and mm. you know all those little sort of finessey jobs that you you sort of feel the need to do before an opening of course one always needs to forget or miss one blackberry or one um, milk thistle because oh, you, you will yeah, be told yeah, yeah yeah so there'll have to be one there somewhere that I don't manage to yeah. find but um, yeah so I'm working madly on trying to sort of get the garden tidy and of course you create all that litter and then you've got to deal with it so the Blasted shredder has to come out, which I and my shredder have a love-hate relationship. Uh, <laughs> but nonetheless, it's a useful piece of equipment to have around, I guess, because mm. I can deal with an awful lot of green waste and twigs and bark and God knows what else and turn it into serviceable mulch. Um, but the noise and the dust and the getting scratched by things going down the shredder and stuff is not my idea of a great deal of fun. <laughs> but I do like the pile of stuff I get after. Um, so I get a whole pile of shreddings and it's amazing what you can put through one of those things if you're patient yes I've worked out I can actually get rid of oyster shells now really yep yeah, uh, I was chatting away to somebody at one stage or another, um, and said the only thing I, uh, the only organic thing I struggle to get rid of because if you throw them in the compost, they just keep coming back at you. Is something like oyster shells, mm. and then I was promptly told that I was obviously earning far too much money to afford oysters anyway. Took <laughs> um, umbrage at that, but anyhow, um, and this person said, "Well, why aren't you putting them down the shredder?" And I thought, Ooh, "Am I game?" Um, so the other day, I dropped some oyster shells into the shredder just to see what would happen. And lo and behold, they came out as little tiny crumbly bits underneath. Wow. So there you go. So you could make your, <coughs> make your own shell grit for your Well, trips. that's what I was thinking, you you know. Uh, yeah, I think it's possibly a little coarse for shell grit. Okay. Um, but... It's all broken up. It's calcium. It will go back into the garden in another form. Um, and so I feel quite chuffed that I found another use for something that I was otherwise putting in the bin and annoyed by the whole thing. Um, so there you go. There's a little, That's amazing. Yeah, but I would be very careful doing it if people do it because if you've got a shredder that throws bits and pieces out, make sure you're wearing your goggles and your gloves oh, and yes. all that stuff. I mean, you... Twigs and stuff are bad enough that come shooting out, but bits of hard oyster shell, you wouldn't want to cop one of those in your eye. So just be careful. But nonetheless, it worked very well. I was surprised how quickly they disappeared. Mm. So there you go. I have thrown a pair of – or not thrown, accidentally dropped a pair of secateurs in once, and I know, in fact, what can happen to anything you throw into a shredder. Uh, The Felcos didn't last very well at all. (laughs) Uh, So I guess that, you know – Gee, that's really – Because they don't have – Blades in them anymore. They've got these sort of tumbler things inside. Oh, okay. So there's no blades to get blunted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
So, yeah, so there you go. There's a little bit of weird information for people. If they've got a surfer to voice to shells, they don't quite know what to do with. It's not a problem I have, I have to say. <laughs> yeah, I've got a bloke I buy them from about once a week. I have a little hit of oysters, which I adore. They're great big, fat, juicy ones, and they're lovely, and they're not expensive. <laughs> so there you go. And they're very good for you. Yeah, they're very good for you, yes. They've got they all are. sorts of really good... Really excellent yeah, things, yeah. yeah. Yes. Exactly. So, yeah, so I quite like my little hit of oysters about once a week, but I, I was worried about these shells that I kept putting in the bin. Yeah, I thought, probably. this is awful, because I'm very conscious of trying to recycle everything I can, and I just didn't know what to do with them. Mm. So there you go. Okay. Great. All right, enough of me. We have to say a very good morning to Penny Woodward. Good morning, Penny. Morning, Pam. It's lovely to be here. We um, had I had the most amazing day yesterday, so if I'm a bit vague today, that's because <laughs> it was very full on. We I went to the Menian Garlic Festival. Okay. And it's one of the best festivals I've ever been to. Mm. It's um it's, it was the inaugural one. The people who organised it just did the most amazing job. I. I I didn't get out of the hall very often, I, like once to grab something to eat and once to go and just have a look around the main area. But everyone had smiles on their faces. It was just lovely. It's all that garlic and, they eat. Yes. <laughs> not, not much kissing going on. <laughs> but there were there were activities for kids. They had, you know, guess the number of cloves of garlic in the large bottle, which we'd carefully counted the night before. Um, it's a cunning variation on the jelly beans indeed, in the jar, isn't it? Indeed. <laughs> um, but they had um, egg, uh, spoon and garlic bulb races and, <laughs> and sack races and, you know, just fantastic. And the kid, there is a, um, a, a kid's uh, sculpture uh, competition for all these different age groups and they using vegetables. So they had the most amazing vegetable animals vegetable sculpture. and sculptures and things put together with toothpicks mm. using all these weird and wonderful vegetables. And I just um, hope there was a lot of ratatouilles. Uh, yeah, well, afterwards there may well have been, yes, indeed. And, um, but the art, artistic community in Maniac got really involved. So there were all these incredible straw um, scarecrows with garlic you know, things on them or wheelbarrows of garlic dotted all over the town and every single store got involved and it was just it was just terrific. It Why are they really hosting good. a garlic festival there? Um, it was started by um, David and Kirsten Jones who have a have a garlic farm. Okay. In, <clears throat> just well just out of um, just out of Manian. Mm-hmm. And um, the, but the whole town got involved. There were 150 volunteers yeah, involved wow. with pulling the whole thing together. So, you know, it was um, it was just extraordinary. It was really terrific. And and um, well, let's put a little town on the map. Well, pretty well. I think mm. that was that was the idea. <clears throat> and um, if it's brought you know money into the town for all the businesses, and I can't imagine how it wouldn't have. We don't have the final figures, but. I, my estimate, and it's really hard when they're spread all over the place, so because they were spread right through the town and out on the oval where the sort of official festival was, um, would have been about 10,000 people. Um, and the charge was not huge. It was $10 to get in mm-hmm. and kids were free. And um, it was and fabulous music was the other thing, lots of music happening. And they had the um, choir of Hard Knocks down there and... Okay. You know, so various other things. Many Anne's known as a music venue. They have mm. some really interesting um, music happening there all year round. Right. But um, it's uh, they now have another thing that they can do. So I'm wow. absolutely exhausted because I don't think I stopped talking all day. <laughs> <laughs> as well as driving there and driving back to Melbourne. And, um, yeah, so it, but it was just, it was great. It was really one of those very exciting and very energising 
things. Yeah, so it was good. So I presume that means it's going to become an annual event? Oh, you look, you'd have to ask the organisers. They yeah, were all pretty exhausted. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they probably wouldn't say yes at this moment. No, but you know, in a week or two, they'll probably uh, step everyone, up. Everyone was actually a bit stunned, I think, <laughs> by the afternoon when we realised how many people had actually been there. Okay. Um, they were just sort of lost for words. So, yeah, it was um, it was really interesting. So, yeah, I'll find out in the next couple of days how many people were actually there and, and, you know, what people's thoughts are about it. it maybe they'll do it every second year because for a small community it's a huge it's commitment. A lot of yeah. So three months of work, of yes. you know, steady hard work has gone into it. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, so wow. it was good, really good. Excellent. And I'm a bit hoarse, so sorry about that. <laughs> we'll let you doze off in the corner. Thank you. <laughs> we also have to say a very good morning to James Beatty. Good morning, James. Morning, Pam. How was your holiday? Well, I asked you before we came yeah, on air and you yes. said you didn't have one, so no, I didn't you should leave one. that one well alone, I think. Yes, <laughs> yes I'm a bit like Penny. I'm sort of <laughs> half here, half not at the moment, but anyway. <laughs> and you're, you're still at the moment being a, a full-time home gardener. Yeah, yeah. I've been busily building the back garden that I've always wanted, um, and after months of planning and drawing it out, I finally got stuck in, and I'm about a month and a half into... Kind of serious backbreaking labour. Yeah, I've got, I've got I've got about another two weeks left, and then I'm done. Okay. So, well, well, you've having got in, getting some perfect weather for it. Well, that's it right. Hasn't been too yeah, hot. I've yeah, had a, been I've had a couple of yeah. hot days where I've just had yeah. to kind of pack it in at about eleven a.m. Mm, and then yeah. just you know not really do any until yeah. about seven at night. Yeah. Um, but they've been few and far between this year, which is which is very very good. Yes. <laughs> I wouldn't have made yeah. as much progress as hasn't I have. been good for garlic, but it's been good for a lot of other things. <laughs> good for the garlic festival, though. Yes, yeah, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so you the plans? Anything exciting in the plans? Oh, I've 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 got a whole lot of um, caught and steel garden beds made up. Um, and I was going to use some of those prefabricated products mm. that you can get, like the form boss edging and that kind of thing. Um, but I put in a quote to a couple of companies um, like Formboss, and there was another one whose name escapes me right at the moment. Um, and the quote came back not too bad, but then um, I thought just out of curiosity I'd approach a local a local metal worker um, that does a lot of in- big industrial work and, and gave them the plans of what I wanted to do and said, you know, look, could you, you know, could you give me a quote for, for this work? Um and they they came back with a quote um, in a much thicker gauge steel than than I'd be able to get at these other kind of prefab places. Mm. And the quote came in about four hundred dollars cheaper. Wow! Goodness me! Um, so I and thought you're supporting local industry. Exactly right. My Wonderful. mother always drilled into me: always keep your money local. You know. Yeah. So it was a, it was a dude in West Heidelberg, and I'm in I'm in That's Reservoir. Right. So it was it was really well done, and they did a really good job, and they were pretty easy to go in. And um, at the moment, I'm just finishing off. Uh, I've, I've this idea kicking around to build a, a small greenhouse out of old French doors for years because we have a small mm. suburban block. It's not huge, yeah. so you know I can't I can't have a large greenhouse. Um, but we we were looking for these doors at the tip shop for years, maybe maybe a year and a half, two years, and about six weeks ago there was five perfect, beautiful 
French doors with a beveled edge on the glass as well. So they're quite oh, fancy. Beautiful. So I've built a kind of small phone box a la TARDIS type um, <laughs> greenhouse in the back garden <laughs> now. Well, ho- yeah. hopefully it'll, it'll be great. like a TARDIS and you'll, you know, you'll go inside and it'll seem bigger than it was on the outside. <laughs> I hope so, yeah. <laughs> We're certainly going to paint it TARDIS colours. So yeah, well, that's yeah. a good idea. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, so, so you've been kept very busy. Yeah. Absolutely. Sounds as if you've been having fun too. It, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been really, really good. good. Yeah. Excellent. Very, very creative. Excellent. Okay, we have got a lot to get through today, so I'm going to go straight to some community announcements. Um, First up, uh, today is the last day of the Seymour Alternative Farming Expo. Um, You didn't, I gather, get a chance to get up there, Penny? No, I've been a bit busy doing other things. (laughs) But but Karen's up there. Yes, I know. Well, I I was going to mention Karen because... um, Karen Sutherland has been very busy uh, being involved with it this year and today she's actually uh, speaking at 10am on uh, Bush Herbs for Pleasure and Profit and uh, then she's going to be there all day at her display to answer questions about growing and using bush herbs and several unusual plants for sale including strawberry gum and cinnamon myrtle. So if you're up in the Seymour area and uh, you want to pop along to that 10am is her talk, but she will be there on her display all day today. And as I say, she will have some unusual plants for sale as well. Now, also um, today, this afternoon, in fact, is the uh, talk, the illustrated talk on Western Australian wildflowers with John Thompson. Now, this is taking place down at Cranbourne Botanic Gardens. Now, I'm hoping that there still might be... um, availability to go along to that one if people want to pop along at the last minute. Um, It's happening from 2 till 3.30 in the uh, Australian Garden Auditorium down there at Cranbourne. Uh, Now the cost, if you're a member of the Friends of Cranbourne, $20. Non-members, $25. Students, $10. If if you have any queries about it or if you want to check if it's still uh, possible to pop along this afternoon to that, I suggest you do give um, Roger Elliott a call. His number is 8774-2483. So 8774-2483. Now also on today um, is the uh, Summer Grafting Day down at Werribee Park Heritage Orchard. Uh, now this is happening from 10 through till 3 o'clock. Uh, this is where they will have um, a lot of uh, heritage fruit trees for sale. You can go along and learn how to graft uh, different ones onto your rootstock. You can choose your rootstock as well and choose which uh, fruit trees you want to graft onto that. As well as that, there's going to be um, the Karini Gardeners will have a stall selling their plant varieties from the kitchen garden. There'll be local native plants and old-fashioned favourites from the Werribee Gardens for sale as well. There'll be uh, edible weed walks, tours of the orchard and, as I said, grafting demonstrations and also fruit trees for sale if you're not going to have a go at grafting yourself. Now, that's all happening down at uh, Werribee Park uh, Heritage Orchard and... uh, I think if I have got it anywhere... Well, anyway, if you head to Werribee Park... Um, you will uh, you'll be directed with the traffic. They do have rotary members there directing traffic. You head to gate five, so that's uh, that's where the traffic can go in. So enter via gate five, and you will be directed to uh, 
to some parking. So that's Werribee Park, Heritage Orchard, Summer Grafting on today, 10 through till 3. Now, um, we have uh, a garden open again this weekend. Today, of course, being the second day of that opening. Uh, this is for Open Gardens Victoria. And the garden is in Camberwell. It's Milford at 16 Kintore Street in Camberwell. That's spelt K-I-N-T-O-R-E, Kintore Street in Camberwell. 10 through to 4.30. Entry price is $8. Under 18s are free. <coughs> Students, $5. And this is basically uh, the garden has been designed in, to be sympathetic to the uh, Holmes Edwardian architecture. There's perennial borders, there's recycled brick paths, um, and the back garden is much more contemporary in line with uh, recent renovations. Uh, so, as I said, that's happening 10 through till 4.30. Now, Open Gardens Victoria have also got um, a couple of other events coming up. Next weekend, they're having a, a sculpture tour of the Mornington Peninsula. It's entitled Sculpture in Landscape. Now, you do need to book for this one online. Uh, so just just uh, type in Open Gardens Victoria and it will come up for you. Or if, um, now, it's, uh, ticket price is $95. There is a limited availability of 40 people. And the ticket price includes guided tours and talks at each of the sites, coffee on arrival at Montalto, lunch at Merrick's store with uh, sit-down two courses, champagne at a private sculpture park. Uh, now, you do need to make your own way there to Montalto Winery, so that's where it all starts. And that will start with a walk and talk with the curator down there. Uh, to preview the Montalto Sculpture Award, which opens to the public uh, Sunday of next week end. So, um, as I say, all the information is up online. If you go to Open Gardens Victoria there online, uh, and remember you do need to uh, book and pay for that prior to the, uh, the tour. And just finally, a reminder for listeners... Um, Unfortunately, Penny, uh, there was a mistake printed in yeah, the Garden Yeah, I know. They magazine. were devastated when they realised. Yes, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, but uh, Karen Sutherland really does want me to remind listeners her garden will be open, but the opening will be Saturday the 4th and Sunday the 5th of March, 10 o'clock through till 4.30. <laughs> Entry price, again, of $8, under 18s free, students $5, and the address of her garden is 22 Lock and Bar Street in Pascoe Vale South, and I will give you a reminder of that opening um, next week. One last one that I have for uh, February, and uh, this is the uh, the next musical event being held up in the gardens of Cloud Hill. This is taking place next Saturday, 25th of February at 6 p.m. in the Green Theatre at Cloud Hill Gardens. Now, the cost is adults is 30 children up to 16 years, $20. Um, you can uh, phone uh, Cloud Hill uh, to make a booking for that one, or you can go onto their website. Their number is 97511009. That's 97511009. And uh, the group that will be playing is Evergreen Ensemble, 
and uh, Evergreen Ensemble uh, includes our good friend Simon Rickard. Uh, now they're going to be playing works from 18th century Scotland by James Oswald, each piece inspired by a flower or vegetable with commentary by Simon and also pieces by Purcell, McGibbon and some fiery Scottish jigs and reels. Sounds so, fun. Yep, <laughs> Get your sporran and your kilt out and off you go. Lots of yep. songs about thistles and cabbage. Yes. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Okay. All right. It is time that we <clears> open <throat> our lines for um, our listeners. If you'd like to give us a call, 94190155. That's 94190155. Um, Stephen, we might go to one plan. Yeah, all right. And I'll come back. I've got a few other things to do. <coughs> all right. Um, well, I might start with my tall one. Mm. Um, there's a genus of plants called Clerodendron, uh, and... They're an interesting group of plants. Uh, they have certain characteristics that people do or don't like, like the fact that their foliage smells. Um, but it um, it sort of smells a bit like peanut butter, so I don't actually mind the smell of clerodendron. This particular one is clerodendron chinensis, variety chinensis, um, which flowers in the late summer, and it has little palest of pale pink double flowers like almost like a little double sort of um, old-fashioned rose or something in Mm. clusters and the calyxes behind are sort of pink so when the flower drops out the dark pink calyx shows up it's perfumed smells yummy Mm. have a smell james it's yeah very nice it's a very nice scent um and it's shade tolerant and reasonably drought tolerant uh and it's suckers so you'll end up with a colony of it, uh, and the suckers tend to come up a reasonable distance from each other. Mm. So it doesn't swamp anything it's growing with. It just sort of ties a border together. Um, and every few years I go through and cut them off at ground level when they get a bit twiggy and, and woody looking, and then new suckers will come up and replace them. So they're all sort of these upright, strong mm. stems with these heads of almost white flowers on the top, beautifully scented in the late summer, early autumn, which I find very useful. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think Clerodendron is a, is a genus that, that we've seen tended to neglect, really, because there's some quite good cold-hardy ones, mm-hmm. although there are an awful lot of tropical ones that I certainly couldn't grow at Macedon. And I have to say, Chinensis is, in fact, slightly frost-tender, and if I get really bad frosts, it knocks it down. But once it's well-established... Up it comes again. It up again. Mm-hmm. And it will normally flower if it's got adequate moisture to get away in the spring. It'll normally flower on those new canes in the same season. So you don't really lose much. It probably won't be quite as tall if it gets knocked down by the frost. But uh, it will still come up and flower in the same year. So uh, I think it's a lovely plant. So Clerodendrum. Uh, it's not a drawn, it's a drum for some reason or another. Um, and, uh, yes, it's one of the more unusual and interesting ones, and I'd like to get some more of the cold, hardy species in that genus because they are really very useful late summer, mm. autumn flowering shrubs. Stephen, the way it's got a fairly bare stem, yeah. do they all grow like that? Does that mean you need to have other things growing oh, around yeah, them? it wouldn't be a plant I'd have on its own because, in fact, it, uh, it does have bare stems at the base, um, and because it suckers a fair way away from itself, uh, mm. it can look a bit odd if there's not a ground cover yep. or a smaller plant okay. that it can grow with. Yep. Um, so I would definitely um, consider using it with other plants in the garden. And it'll sort of pop up in gaps and things like that. So it's, a, it's a quite an amenable plant. And it's easy enough to pull out any suckers that come up where you don't want them. I, of course, pull them out and put them in pots and sell them to other suckers, <laughs> <laughs> which works quite well. Um, so um, I, I think it's a, a great plant. Mm. And so uh, considered for not too dry a shade, I think it's a really good thing. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. there you go. Mm. 
All right, Pam. Okay. I've done my plant. What are we doing now? <laughs> you have. Um, we might go to our first caller. Uh, no, we haven't got him up online yet. Okay. All right. I don't know what's going on this morning. Yeah, we're having one of those weird mornings this morning. We but... are having weird, uh, a weird morning, yes. Okay. Um, I might uh, just um, pass this across to you. We were going to talk about ah. this two weeks ago. Oh, yes. Stephen, yeah. And we didn't get round to it. My so trips, yes. Your trips, because yeah. you still do have some vacancies. Yes, obviously. there's still space on the Normandy and Loire Valley tour, uh, which is just stunning it's a really really good tour it's 21 days it's in june so um, if anybody's interested please get in touch with australian studying abroad post haste because time is marching and i might add too i had an email the other day and it looks like somebody's dropped out of our madagascan tour for october so we've got a twin share available so if anybody and their partner or close friend wishes to come along to madagascar with me in october we do actually have one small space available um so um, uh, please consider both of them. They're with Australians studying abroad, and I'm sure if you went into the website, you'd soon be able to find them. Uh, my tours are also up on my own website, so you can always go in there and have a look at them, and there's links back to ASA and all that sort of stuff as well. Uh, the French tour, of course, does all of the obvious things, which is like... Um, uh, going to Giverny and, and Fontainebleau and, you know, quite a lot of the well-known places, Vaux-le-Vicon. Uh, but we also go to a lot of lesser-known chateaus and we also go to a lot of places that are private gardens that the average tourist won't get into. And that's part of the fun of doing it as a tour group. You get the opportunity to go to places you wouldn't ordinarily go. And even some of the places we do go to that you could get access to, we're having lunch with the Countess on her Spode dinner set with the Georgian silver cutlery and, and what have you, which, of course, you can't do as an independent tourist either. So there are great advantages to going on one of those sorts of tours. So we've still got... Sounds like Downton Abbey. It is, it, it is a little like that. Really? I might add the Madagascan one doesn't work quite like that. Um, but No Countesses. No Countesses. No, none that I've met yet anyway. Uh, there might be. I mean, it's an old French colony. There, there could be some sort of old French... French countesses lurking around in the Singhi somewhere that we haven't seen yet, but um, I haven't met any. Uh, The Madagascan tour is a little bit more roughing it. Uh, But having said that, this last year when I went over there, the accommodation that we stayed in was far superior than anything I'd actually expected from previous trips to Madagascar. Um, Some wonderful resorts and things we stay in. So it's not all roughing it and terribly third world. Uh, But it is a third world country and it can be a bit confronting. Mm. Um, So you have to prepare yourself for that. But the animals, the plants, the scenery uh, is just breathtaking. And so it is well worth the effort. And of course, if you go to a country like Madagascar and, you're, and you travel in a place like that, you're helping support their economy because uh, tourism is one of those things that will possibly help Madagascar pull itself out of its third world status. Um, so you can get a slightly warm, fuzzy feeling about putting some money into their economy. So I like doing it for that reason as mm. much as going there to see cute, fuzzy lemurs and, and strange coloured chameleons and everything else that's there. So we've got space for two people on the Madagascan tour and we've still got space, I think, for about four or five people on the French tour. Certainly we've got more than enough to go ahead, so it's going ahead, but we wouldn't mind having a few more people on board. So if people are interested, get in touch with ASA, go onto their website and have a look at the tours. They've got the full itineraries there. I think they're already starting to take bookings for my tour the next year, uh, which will be the south of France. So I'm going somewhere slightly ah. different next time round. So I think southwest. 
It sort of is a bit, and oh, it's yeah, it's further over. Well, it's it's going to cover quite a lot of ground in the southern parts of France. So okay. we'll get across to the Pyrenees, and we'll yeah, we'll do some really interesting stuff. But I haven't really studied the uh, whole itinerary myself yet because I've got two tours ahead of me first. <laughs> You've got <laughs> enough on your plate. Yeah, that I've got enough on my plate. I just said yes, basically. So <laughs> we're, we're 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 but. I noticed that it's already showing up on their brochures and things for next year. Okay. So if anybody wants to get in really early, the south of France could be great fun. Mm. It could be a learning experience for us all. <laughs> <laughs> we will see. So there you go. So they're the tours at the moment, and thank okay. you for letting me talk about them. Yep, fantastic. All right, I, I think we do have uh, Gwen online now. Good morning, Gwen. Good morning, everyone. Uh, Pam, I've just got a couple of announcements of activities coming up next weekend, which... Um, I've received, but obviously you haven't. Right. Uh, but I thought they'd be of interest to listeners. The first is the Dahlia Society of Victoria uh, is having the State Dahlia Show. Next um, we are actually have a guest in here who's about to be talking all about it, Gwen. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> that one's covered. Yep. What about the Melbourne Begonia Society Show? Uh, sorry, sorry. It's the Begonia Society that we're talking about and not the Dahlia. So go ahead on the Dahlia one. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get you're getting, it right you're confused. We've had a few technical problems in here this morning. What is happening this morning? Everyone's a little bit discombobulated. (laughs) Well, yeah, apparently my microphone wasn't working at all, so now we're all bunched up sharing microphones. It sort of looks like some sort of strange insect at the moment. There's sort of (laughs) arms going everywhere. We've created a sculpture of microphones. (laughs) Yes, it's really weird in here. (laughs) Anyway, go ahead, Gwen. Okay, I'll leave you with the begonias, but also next weekend people are going to have to run hither and thither, obviously. Um, because the begonias will be at Moorabbin, but out at the Mount Waverley Community Centre, uh, 47 Miller Crescent, which is opposite the railway station, uh, there's the State Dahlia Show. Now, that goes um, at 12.30 to 5pm... Uh, well, that, that must be both days, I think. No, no, no that, uh, Saturday, 12.30 to 5pm, Sunday, t- 10 o'clock... So you've got time to um, hear the 3CR Garden Show first, and that's shut a bit earlier. It's 3.30. Uh, adults, only $4. Pensioners, $1. And, of course, everything to see in regard to dahlias, if that you're interested in. No doubt they'll have, you know, talks about dividing and everything else one does with dahlias. If you want further information, there's a phone number on this piece of paper I have, 0419 And Gwen, while you're there, um, is there uh, any places for people to come along to the Illustrated Talk this afternoon? Yes, there are. Yep, yep. Wonderful. I mean, it's very well booked. Yes. But, you know, there are plenty of seats in the auditorium. We'll be leaving here as soon as the 3CR Garden Show finishes. So um, if people want to ring the number you gave previously, they'd need to do it, you know, with it, during the time of the 3CR Garden Show because, you know, we'll go as soon as the, down there to do set-up and stuff. Okay. All yeah, right. The thing I can briefly mention for February, I wasn't going to. I was ringing about those other two shows, but down at Cranbourne, on the last day of February, the Tuesday the 28th, is the first day of the annual um, quilt festival down there. Oh, gosh, that's come around already. It seems it has, yes. well, no long 
Yeah. As many people would know, um, if you're organising a function um, and you can get it in on the last day of a season, summer, autumn, winter or spring, you get it into publications that, you know, are for that season, whereas if it doesn't start until the 1st of March, it goes into sort of autumn editions and by then it's already on. Yes, so right. Anyway, starts on Tuesday, 28th of February, goes through to the end of the following weekend, which I think is March 5. Entry is free, so it's an extra thing if you're able to go down to Cranbourne and it really is very highly renowned and very well regarded these days. Mm. some of Australia's top quilters and uh, lots of fabrics you can buy and, you know, do whatever, but um, lots of fun. Excellent. That's it. Okay. Thanks okay. for that, Gwen. Have a good day. Bye. Bye. Now, uh, I have to mention uh, 3CR is running a subscriber drive uh, this week. It's been running all week and, of course, it's um, time for the gardening show to also uh, try and encourage some of our wonderful listeners to uh, become subscribers. Now, by subscribing to the station, you actually have a, stay, a say in in what happens at the station, in the running of the station. Um, you're helping, of course, keeping independent and commercial-free radio alive in Melbourne. Um, now you get the yearly 3CR magazine, The Cram Guide. Uh, you also get discounts at some of the local businesses and it's a wonderful way of supporting 3CR and, in particular, the gardening show. Now, um, as a special um, incentive for some of you to ring up and uh, subscribe this morning, um, I have uh, two really wonderful books. We are going to um, go into a draw. Everyone who rings up to subscribe this morning or to renew if you're already a subscriber and uh, you want to ring in and renew, uh, all names will be put into the draw for two wonderful books. Now, the first book is called The Garden of Ideas. This is Four Centuries of Australian Style. It's been written by Richard Aiken. And for anyone who's at all interested in garden history, this really is the most fantastic book because um, each chapter covers a period in Australian garden and design. Uh, so it starts from the 1600s and ends up right through until 2010. So um, it's a great book, isn't it, Stephen? Yeah, it's fabulous photos, really oh, well researched. Oh, the illustrations! It's 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 just his books are always so sumptuously illustrated. Yeah. Oh, just his, gorgeous. his writing is fantastic mm, as well. Yeah, it's very readable. As you said it, but it's also so well researched. Yeah. You know that what you're reading is is absolutely accurate. Yeah. So yes, it's probably the book of its sort of genre if you're looking for Indeed. something on garden history. Absolutely, in absolutely. Now the other book that um, I have this morning. Morning is The House and Garden at Glenmore by Mickey Robertson. Now, if uh, people have been watching the new Michael McCoy series that's just started um, on television, uh, Michael did actually, uh, in last week's episode, um, they showed a segment of him going to Glenmore and talking to Mickey Robertson um, in her uh, vegetable garden. So um, this is all about how um, they purchased a basically ramshackle, run-down old collection of farm buildings um, and uh, beautifully restored the whole thing, restored the garden, 
Um, it also includes things like um, recipes from the garden, um, a lot of Mickey's ideas on interior design and decoration and how they designed each of the garden rooms around Glenmore. So um, two wonderful books. As I say, everyone that phones in this morning uh, to become a subscriber or to renew their subscription will go into that drawer and we will, um, we will uh, draw that uh, at the end of the program this morning. The one thing I do have to say is that you will need, that both of these books are big and heavy, you will need to either collect the books from 3CR during the week um, or, Stephen, I'm sure if yeah, someone if somebody can collect from up it from my you... Way, uh, I'm happy to take them home. I can read them first then. Um, <laughs> oh, did I say that? Oh, yes. <laughs> no, don't. Um, and, yes, I'm happy to take them up and my way. And you could collect them from Dick's own yeah, rare plants. so you don't necessarily have to come into town. If you're on my side of town, you can come out and see me and I'll have the books there for you if you happen to be one of those subscribers. Fantastic. Now, the cost, um, if you're waged, is $70 for the year. If you're unwaged, $35 for the year um, or if you're on a concession. So uh, that's $70 waged or 35 unwaged. And uh, if you're lucky enough to be one of the winners of one of these books, you will certainly be getting your money back on that one. Oh, you will. Um, quite apart from the fact that you are supporting 3CR for the next 12 months. So the number to call, do give Rosemary a call on 94190155. That's nine. Four one nine zero one double five. Now, just uh, before we leave all of that, this, the other thing that I really wanted to mention this morning, and um, I don't know if anyone else here in the panel has ever struck this problem before, but um, I planted a different type of um, heirloom bean this year. Mm. It's called um, speckled cranberry. Cranberry, sorry, speckled cranberry. Sounds more like a Sweet fruit than a yep. bean, doesn't it? It's 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 a pole bean. It does have blotches of pink mm. um, on on the the pods. Um, it uh, it goes back uh, in in American cookbooks. It it goes back as far as seventeen ninety six. Uh, it's a bean that can be used fresh, dried, or as a shelling bean. Um, but I've discovered because I, they, it's starting to produce on my vines mm. in the garden, that I was so allergic to trying to pick those beans from brushing the... So I'm putting really? this out as a warning. I've You're never right. been allergic to a bean. I've planted lots of varieties of beans. But Have you I, got other varieties in the garden that aren't affecting you, or is this the only bean yes, you've got this year? No, I've got Blue Lake, <clears throat> yeah. which I plant nearly every year yeah. because mm. I particularly like it, yeah. and no problems. No problems. Isn't that odd? Mm. It's very I wonder odd. if you're one in a million, though, Pam. You know, and well, we all think I don't you are. Know, because <laughs> I was reaching in, so I, I, I had on a T-shirt, mm. not thinking I needed to cover up, mm. and I came at this prickly, prickly Well, um, sort of like rash. you get if you were dealing with cleavers with or cleavers, something. With cleavers, yeah. exactly. Mm. The same sort of reaction. And, and after, after about half an hour, it sort of gradually faded, and mm. and the. It sounds like you've been pulling out cleavers, doesn't it? Yeah, but Goodness. there's definitely no cleavers in amongst <laughs> my beans. I can tell you. So um, I'm just putting it out as a warning because I've never heard of having any sort of yeah. a, a reaction. Look, two things. I've grown speckled cranberry, and I have didn't you? have any reaction to it at all. Okay. Um, and I don't react to cleavers either, though. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, so yeah well, you're not a good you example go. there, yes. <laughs> But the other thing is that over time, it, with repeated um, exposure to certain 
chemicals. You can build up an allergic reaction mm. so that your body becomes sensitised to it. So mm. you may start off having no reaction, but over several years, you will then start reacting to it. So it may just be that over time you've been exposed to whatever the chemical is in this particular bean or in other beans as well, um, and this time you're reacting. Uh, yeah. I just found it intriguing so, because yeah. it's the first time I've ever grown it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I've, I basically don't have many cleavers in my garden because I've been eradicating them, you know, yeah. for years. And so I really don't. And I always put on gloves if, if I'm trying yeah, dealing to with them. Yeah. deal with those. So I just found it really interesting. Mm-hmm. So um, just, yeah, be careful well, yeah, but with I beans. Think, I think the message <laughs> is that there's a lot of plants you actually need to I'm sure there probably is. Because yeah. you can build up this reaction over yeah. a number of years. So. I just, I just yeah. found it absolutely yeah. intriguing. Yeah. So suddenly these are going to be dried beans because I'm not going in there to pick them fresh anymore. Send Cordell in, yeah. <laughs> I mean, what's and your I don't think I'm going to be planting them anymore. So um, despite my warnings, if anyone wants the rest of my beans, which are, which are viable till uh, September 2018, if you want to try and experiment with them and see if you can enjoy the beans, you're welcome to them. Well, there you um, go. After that spruik. But it won't, yeah. Yeah. It it won't great stop me growing beans. It <laughs> won't stop they're me growing beans. They're very beautiful beans yeah. to yeah. look at. They're, they're very and pretty. They're great, and they're versatile yeah. because you can use them fresh yeah. or dry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was just like intrigued that the whole beans. thing had mm. um, really it happened. Beans. So there you go. Oh, dear. Life is full of little surprises, Pam. It is, isn't it? Stephen, let's go to – oh, we better go to our next caller first. We have Sharon, who's out in Cheltenham. Good morning, Sharon. Oh, good morning. Uh, look, I've got a question on a gardenia. Um, it's not mine, it's my son's. Yeah. I, I wouldn't personally try, but uh, look, he's got an old one uh, that's looking pretty leggy. Um, mm. I'm wondering about when to prune it and, and can you cut into the sort of Oh, yeah. Look, gardenias you can cut quite hard. They, you can cut them back to um, just stumps if you need to. It will mean, of course, that when they reshoot, they won't flower for a while because yeah. they'll put a lot of energy into into flowering. But I probably wouldn't prune now because we're about to head into our colder weather. And um, so I would um, now leave it until the cold is over in the spring. Oh, I would okay. then prune it really hard then. Right. Uh, and then I would make sure it, it got a, f- a feed and I'd probably give it some seaweed emulsion as well um, to give it a bit of a boost. And uh, I think if the plant is actually healthy, even if it's spindly, it will reshoot away very quickly. Oh, that's good because he bought a unit and there's an old one and then we put another one in to balance it. Yeah. And, of course, there's a differentiation in height. Oh, yeah, because they're different generations of gardenia. So, yes, so you're right. It's... uh, um, it's going to look odd even though you've put them in as a pair. So, yes, so you need to bring the other one back. So he needn't be frightened of it. You certainly need to prune it back a little harder in size than the one that is the younger plant because yeah. it will reshoot again quite quickly. So to try and get a bit of balance, I'd actually cut it back lower than the other one already is. Yeah. Um, and then when it starts to shoot out, it'll hopefully even up a bit. But you will probably find it will outgrow the other one regularly until it gets well established because it has a big root system under it and of course pruning things encourages vigor people sort of think of pruning as a way of restricting plants but if you cut them quite hard they've got a big root system and they go like nuts afterwards so you know it's 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 so i've got to tell you this you've got me sidetracked we had a fellow come in to prune our lemon trees Hmm. and uh, he did a weird job he 
said, I'm going to prune out the middle. Yeah. And it's grown like it's never been thicker. Yeah, it's, yeah. It, pruning invigorates. People just forget. It's not a controlling mechanism in lots of ways. It invigorates. And the more heavily you prune something with a big root system, the more vigorously it grows afterwards. So if you're pruning roses, for instance, sake, which are classic examples because you prune them regularly every year, um, your strong roses you should prune quite lightly to stop them from growing too fast and your weaker roses you should prune really hard to try and invigorate them to make them more vigorous so it's sort of counterintuitive a bit because you've got this great big rose and you think i better cut that back really hard and of course all you do is make it all the more vigorous and it'll send up water shoots that'll go up to the sky and the flowers will be way up somewhere um so yeah so you do really need to do your pruning appropriate to the plant right that needs a bit of thinking about the other thing that we've just experienced my cucumbers got taken over by what I thought was a zucchini. Mm-hmm. So we left that. And I've just been picking them and we've discovered they're butternut pumpkins. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, look, you, it, the cucumber bits are amazing things. I've got some seedlings that have come up in the garden at home and a couple of them are in places where it doesn't really matter. So I've just left them to see what happens. One of them's actually running up and over the chook shed, which... I actually planted pumpkins to do that one year, and it was a great way of shading the chooks for the summer. Mm. And one's decided to come up with his own accord. I've got no idea what the fruit's going to be like, and it's only just starting to form fruit now, so there's a good chance it won't actually produce anything useful. But the foliage is really pretty, and the flowers are really pretty. And, and it's, it's shading the chook And pen. it's shading the chook pen, and I just think it's fantastic. So, uh, yeah, so these unexpected um, sort of, pumpkin relatives that pop up all over the garden uh, and of course they hybridize too so you can easily end up with yeah. something that's sort of a, a zook pump or something yeah. you know you can end up with some really weird plants i know what's weird is we picked them and we've now decided we picked them green you see yeah because we thought they were zucchinis but um, my husband looked on the internet and it seems that you can eat the butternut pumpkins green did you try them Yes, I think we did, and and we're going to probably have one today. Doesn't doesn't sound like it made a great impact. No. <laughs> so uh, yeah, well, look, you know, who's to say? I mean, you can eat the flowers of cuca bit, so why can't you eat immature pumpkins? I suppose uh, it just seems like a waste of potential biomass. Yeah, well, we certainly will let the others yeah. develop. Yeah. At yeah. that stage, we were thinking they were trombones again. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> ah, dear. Oh, well, we li- right. live and learn every day, don't we? Yes, we do. Thank you very much, David. That's a pleasure. Okay, bye. bye. Well, I'm delighted to now um, welcome into the studio Lindsay Poor from the Melbourne Begonia Society. Good morning, Lindsay. Good morning, Pamela. Thank you for having me. You all geared up for the show next yes, weekend? Yes, we're all geared up for the show weekend. Okay, so well, tell I'll listeners first, all about yes, it. I first, well, first of all, I'll tell you where it is and a little bit about it. Then okay. I'll go into the what themes and what the exciting things are about. Okay. So it's next Saturday, 25th of February from 10 till 4. And then it repeats itself on Sunday, the 26th of February, from 10 till 3. Now, where is it? It's at the Moorabbin Senior Citizens Hall, which address is 964 Nepean Highway, Moorabbin. If you need to look up a Melway reference, it's 77D6. It's also a short walk from the Moorabbin Railway Station. And apparently there are bus lines that go from the station past it, um, so you might be able to catch one of those. But there's also plenty of free parking around the Senior Citizens Club. Good. Free admission, which is a bonus. Wow. And 
Of course, there's always afternoon tea. So it's wonderful Devonshire teas. Hot scones are made on the premises. There's a sausage sizzle. And, of course, there's a plant crèche. So those are all the mechanics <laughs> okay. of the show. Right. Now, what about the theme? The theme this year is Discover the Magic of Begonias. So when you go into the hall, there are displays. But first of all, you need to look at the stage, the wonderful stage, which is very creatively decorated. And the theme this year is what can you have as begonias in small spaces, Mm -hmm. courtyards? Mm -hmm. So there'll be a wonderful display giving you ideas about small spaces, courtyards, and also the use of vertical gardens showcasing begonias. Okay. So something for the smaller gardener, Mm -hmm. which is wonderful. So that's on the stage. Also in the tea room area, there will be a lovely vertical display as well. So you can get ideas if you've got a fence at home that you'd like to decorate. Um, In the floor area of the hall, there'll be displays of all the different groups of begonias. So there'll be a display of canes, rexes, the rhizome ones, the tuberous ones, the semperflorans. So you can have a look at the displays. And this year for the first time, if the, if the plant isn't flowering, there's going to be a photograph with each plant. Oh, great idea. So you can see the bloom. Wonderful. That's a good idea. People love to see the bloom and then, of course, they buy. So that's something we've started this year as okay. well. Okay. So have a look at the displays. And then you can make a beeline all around the side of the hall for the plants that are for sale. Now, all the plants are grown by the members. And the beauty of coming to a begonia show or even belonging to a begonia society is that you can't buy begonias except for bedding begonias in nurseries. Mm. No. So if you come to a show, you can get the, the magical ones and, and, and be absolutely delighted and go home with a basketful. So that's what will happen with the sales. And, of course, many, as I said, many of the varieties are only available mm. at the show. Um, some outside growers are also coming in. Um, you know, commercial growers. So there'll be baskets containing begonia big red and also the very popular dragon wings begonia will be for sale, which flowers almost nonstop throughout the year. That big red that, the vulgar big, the big, thing. The big red vulgar thing. Of <laughs> yes. course it's the big, yeah, but yeah. It's, it's popular for pot plants oh, and, and courtyards. Um, and finally, throughout, throughout the two days, there'll be talks. So Diana Laurie is going to give a wonderful talk on how to propagate begonias. There's several different methods. They're quite easy. And she's a really good person to to go through that with you. Norm Geraghty is going to give a talk on how to make terrariums with begonias. And that's on Sunday at 1 p.m. And Ron Lewis, who is an expert in tuberous begonias, is going to give a talk on tuberous begonias on Saturday at 2 p.m. So, an exciting weekend, and if you want any more knowledge or any more information, there's two numbers you can ring. Can mm-hmm. I give those? Yes, Pam? certainly. Um, Janine, if you want to contact Janine on 95791697, or Leslie on 95706822. How many members do you have? Oh, 200 or so. Gosh, That's they've all bad. been very busy. That's yes. not bad for a specialist no, society. It's, it's, no, it's, it's, and we've it's had good. a lot of new members this year, okay. which is very good. So is there, does this mean there's a, a newly kindled interest in begonias? Oh, well, I think it comes and goes. Right. Um, 
but we have very interesting programs. We only meet bi-monthly during the year in the Tucker Road Primary School. And every meeting, there is some specialist speaker. So you might get a speaker who gives you a practical demonstration on propagation. Or you might get a specialist person who tells you how to prune a cane. Because most people just leave canes just to go to the ceiling. Yes. And you want to get more flowering, as you were talking about, Stephen, a moment ago. Yep. Um, and there's, there's always specialist talks. Apart from that, there's always a trading table. So you can pick up these begonias that you can't buy in a nursery. And there's often um, slideshows. So they're very interesting meetings, and they only occur every second month starting in February at the Tucker Road Primary School. That's where the Melbourne Begonia Society meet. What day of the week, Lindsay? Saturday, 1.30 in the afternoon. Okay. So you get your talks, you get your tips, you can buy, and there's always a beautiful homemade afternoon tea to go with it. Goodness me, that's... yes. Sounds like great value. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That, that, that's really exciting. So next weekend, as you say, can you give out all the details again, Yes, please? I certainly can. So next weekend, the theme is Discover the Magic of Begonias, Saturday the 25th from 10 till 4, and Sunday the 26th from 10 till 3 at the Moorabbin Senior Citizens Hall, 964 Nepean Highway, Moorabbin. Mm. I think, too, um, I I know in the past I've actually received um, email queries um, from people who've travelled to somewhere like um, France and they've sent me, you know, a photo of of a hanging basket that are just in the street saying, (coughs) what on earth is this flower? Because begonias, um, some of the different varieties look very different and people don't recognise them as begonias, do they? Exactly right. I have a daughter who lives in Winchester in England and Winchester's a beautiful old town, as you know, but all the streets are lined with the most luscious hanging baskets Mm. of begonias. They do so well. The hotels are completely festooned with hanging baskets of begonias. Yes. So it's, it's their bedding begonias, obviously, and often they are tuberous ones, so they'd have to be replaced fairly often. But they're a wonderful display. Mm. Um, and, of course, if people don't like the big display begonias, I mean, some of the little species begonias, there's somebody on Twitter that I keep seeing who blogs a species begonia about once a week uh, on Twitter and, and shows pictures. And, and they come from all over the world. I mean, you find them in Peru, you find them in Madagascar, you find them in Africa, you find exactly. them... Exactly. All over the world you'll find begonias. Uh, and some of the species ones, I mean, we were in Madagascar quite recently and there was one growing in the wild there. It was minute. Yes. It was this tiny little thing that grew to about oh, an inch and a half mm-hmm. in the old measurements. Mm-hmm. It was growing in the moss on the sides of rocks mm-hmm. and it had the tiniest little white flower. But it was quite obviously to anybody who knows their <laughs> families, it was definitely a begonia. And it was tiny. Mm. It was the cutest little pixie thing. Well, I think that's one of the advantages of loving begonias. I mean, if you don't like the blousiness of mm. the tube, ones, which are fabulous, but that's not for everybody. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. I mm. like the rhizome ones mm. because the leaf variation, the colour mm. is yes. just stunning. And they do put up flowers yeah. in the spring, which are often pink or white, but it's the foliage contrast that mm. are absolutely marvellous. And that's why people also like the Rexes. Yeah. The colours are yes. just brilliant. Yeah. But, of course, they have a little bit more special environmental conditions under which to grow, so they're a little bit more for the specialist. Yes, <laughs> and that's actually what makes people become passionate about a group of plants is the fact, you know, there might be the easy-to-grow ones, but then there's the challenge 
of growing that one that you know you haven't managed to grow before and you'd have to learn about its requirements mm. and its conditions and things to grow it really well and then you can start feeling really smart about yourself because you've grown something that's actually quite hard to grow yes and and that's part of being a gardener i think mm. is taking on mm. challenges mm. it's not just always about growing the easy and obvious mm. i i think the wonderful thing about uh, about some of these um uh, club displays is the fact that you do have experts there on hand. So, um, and they're there all day, you know. You can ask them anything you like and, and you can get really expert help. And I, that's something you can't do if you just walk into a nursery and pick up a pot. So I think I think they're invaluable and, and good on the Begonia Society for... For keeping up the tradition. How many years have you been going now, Lindsay? Oh, I can't. I've, I've been a member of about six or seven years. I really can't tell that, but it's quite some time. Mm. And, of course, there is another Begonia Society in Ballarat, so there's mm. the two. Yes. And, of course, their show is coming up. Their yes. big Begonia Festival is coming up March sometimes. Okay. I can so give you a little bit of history here because the Begonia Society of Victoria had its first meetings at the Mount Macedon Hall for quite some I years. I think that's correct, yeah, yes. Yeah, and, there are, and the, a guy that tried to get them up, or did get them up and running, was a guy by the name of Phil Wright, who lived in Macedon and was a mad keen begonia collector. In fact, his wife died quite recently. And I would guess that it started about, well, it was certainly after the hall was built, and that was built in 85. So it would be sort of probably late 80s, early yes. 90s when the Begonia Society yes. of Victoria first started. I think they've had their thirtieth anniversary, mm. so yeah. I think I think you're right. Yeah. Yes, mm. I'm sorry I wasn't quite up to speed on on the <laughs> no, history no, that's of those right. facts. That's fine. That's fine. It just so happens it happened in yes. my neck of the woods, yes. so I knew yeah. about it. Yes, yeah. 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 that's fair enough. Yeah. That's fair enough. Fantastic. Um, we must get to a few more callers. Lindsay, are you happy to stay on for another ten minutes or so in case someone wants to ask you about uh, about uh, begonias? Um, we'll go next to, let me see, who have we got? We have uh, Elizabeth, who's out in Croydon. Good morning, Elizabeth. Oh, good morning. Uh, it is about uh, 20, 25 years ago that I bought uh, a little maple in Bride at the nursery that was selling out. I said I wanted a little maple with nice coloured leaves. Well, it it did. It, 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 the next year, it didn't get any nice red leaves. So I bought a spray can and uh, I sprayed it red. And I had a lovely red little maple. And the next year, again, it didn't get, turn red. So I got the spray can <laughs> out and I ran out of spray. So I sprayed it half red and it was half green. It's a very unusual tree. Very Christmassy. And ever since then, it has kept growing. And now it is about nearly six metres high. I bet you're not spraying it anymore. (laughs) Five metres wide. Yes. (laughs) And it has a big buttress. And I think it has damaged the concrete in my drive. Oh, dear. And it sheds thousands of uh, seed pots. And I keep uh, uh, ripping out little maple trees. And my question is, will it still keep growing? And what can I do? I no, mean, look, if it's a thirty, if it's a thirty-year-old tree, they don't stop, but it will slow right down. It will not stop yet. No, no. They, I mean, trees don't get to a certain point and then promptly stop. What they do is they they slow up and they become a little slower growing until they get to the point where they're getting ready to senesce, so when they're getting really old. But a maple can live for 100 years or more, so it's still 
quite a young tree. So it will keep getting slightly bigger each year, but the growth will become shorter and the plant itself will become a bit denser in foliage. Uh, But it it, it won't be sending out sort of meter long canes or anything anymore. Um, so it's it's probably got to close to a size that it's not going to get vastly bigger than over the next few years. Oh my goodness! Can I get rid of it? Well, you can get rid of anything if you if you have the desire to do so, but it would seem sort of sad uh, to take something down that you've had for that length of time. And, I mean, if it's cracked the concrete in the driveway, well, it's cracked now, so it probably doesn't matter that much. Um, I, I'm sort of on the tree side a bit here. I think it's, you know, it probably will never colour particularly well where you are because <laughs> Japanese maples really need cold winters to bring up the colour, and that's probably why you haven't had the autumnal glory you are hoping for. Well, it uh, has an unusual leaf size because it has three prongs only instead of five. Yeah, well, it may actually be not a Japanese maple, but it could be a trident maple, mm. which can grow a little bigger than a Japanese maple, I have to say, unfortunately. Oh. Oh. Uh, so it may not be a Japanese maple. It's probably a trident maple. Mm. Right. And they can colour all right in Melbourne, but they're still not reliable. No, it's a very yellowish, yeah. insipid colour. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, unfortunately, you can't take it back to the nursery because it's far too long and they're gone anyway. Uh, but I think they did sell you a bit of a pup. Yes, they did. <laughs> I'm suffering every year. Oh, yeah. oh, but look, you've got lovely shade. Yeah, but it is the little the seeds that uh, shed around, and I get all these maples growing. Well, you should be potting them up and giving them to all your friends so that they can suffer as well. <laughs> okay, thank you. That's a pleasure. Okay. Bye-bye. Oh, dear. Next up, we're going to go to uh, Joan, who's down in Frankston. Good morning, Joan. Oh, good morning. Um... I'm having trouble hearing you. Um, I, I'm very worried about one of my orange trees. It's, uh, it's produced a tremendous lot of oranges this last season, but now it's, the leaves are a bit yellow, and t- some of the smaller ends of the branches have died, and I've had those cut off. Um, what should I do? I'm sorry, can you hear me? Yes, yes, yes we're, we we're, we're all contemplating. Sorry, Joan. <laughs> uh, we're working out who's going to leap in. Um, it, 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 it's, it's over 50 years old. Right. right. Uh, and I had a wonderful crop of oranges this last season, but I'm a bit worried about the fact that it's um, the leaves are going a bit yellow, and then I, cu- I had the dead bits cut off, you know, at the ends. And I'm just wondering, I've, I've already fed it, but I'm wondering whether I should give it blood and bone as well as the complete uh, fertiliser that I gave it before. Right. Uh, look, I think the tipping on the, on the leaves, on the, with the, because that'll be the new growth if it's on the end, is more likely to be a lack of water. Um, there, we have had some very dry periods. I know we've had some really heavy downpours, but in mm. between it's actually been quite dry. So I would be looking at attempting to get some more water in, Yes, well, into it. I, I, I had it heavily mulched and I stuck my fingers down and it's still a bit damp underneath. I thought it was getting enough water. Yeah, I, look, one of the problems with that is that sometimes the mulch holds the water on the surface and it's not actually getting down to the roots That's down why below. I stuck my finger through the yeah. mulch. You think yeah. I've got too much mulch there? Um, po- look, possibly. It's, it can be hard Unless to tell. Unless it's up around the trunk, though, it probably won't yeah. do a lot of harm. No. Uh, 
if it's around the trunk, it might create some problems with collar rot. So I wouldn't keep the mulch right up against the base oh, no, of the trunk. No, no, I don't keep the. Yeah, well, I if that's the case, the... I don't think you can do too much harm with the mulch. No, I need mulch the yeah. outer part. I have to say though, a fifty-year-old orange tree it's, is starting mm, to get to a mm. point where it's possibly senescing. It's mm. probably getting old. I mean, we all lose our twigs when we get old. Yes, that's my problem. Yeah. So, you know, at 50 years, it's not a bad effort for a citrus tree. I mean, most orchardists would have ripped them out and planted young ones well before yeah, that absolutely. point in time. Oh, really? 40 years max in an orchard yeah, they'll yeah. go for, yeah. Yeah, so I I wonder whether the poor old thing is getting towards the end of its useful lifespan. The oh. best thing you could probably do, though, to see what happens is when spring comes on, get it. Uh, actually cut back really hard. Get it mm. cut back to stumps. Mm. Oh, uh, really? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And if the root system's in good health, it will shoot away again like mad. If the root system's not in good health and the tree is actually on its way out, it will just sort of push it over the brink possibly. Oh. But it may actually invigorate the tree and get it re- and re kick started again so i'd get it cut back really hard it does mean unfortunately joan that you probably won't get any oranges off the tree for two or three years well, there, until it's there are little oranges on it already yeah i know but if the tree's stressing then it doesn't really want to be holding those oranges anyway so you think i should have them cut off well not now well you could take the fruit off if you've got the time and energy to do it but I wouldn't prune the tree hard now because we're coming on to the cool part of the year. Uh, I would prune the tree really hard, though, in the spring when the weather's warming up. Oh, I see. And what about my other uh, orange tree, which never did as well because it was too near a bay tree and the, the bay tree was, um, you know, retarding it. And mm. I, I have an odd job man. He's not a good gardener, but he's good at odd jobs. And I asked him to tip prune it, and unfortunately it got butchered. <laughs> What, was that the bay tree or the orange tree? Oh, no, the orange tree, the bay tree I got rid of. Yeah. Uh, well, look, if, if he's butchered your orange tree, uh, it'll probably still come away again, all right? When did he do it? Oh, um, about a couple of months ago. Oh, yeah, well, it, it should be it'll fine. Yeah, it should have some new shoots and things on it now. Well, it looks completely dead. I'm just wondering, as it was, I haven't fed it. No, I wouldn't feed heavily if a tree's stressed. But give it plenty of seaweed, uh, you know, the seaweed extracts, um, and keep it well watered. Uh, It should have shot by now. I'm surprised it hasn't shot in in a couple of months. Yes, it didn't. uh, The the bay tree spoiled it, I think. Mm. I didn't realise the bay tree was taking all the goodness out of it. Oh, your bays are very, very greedy. Yeah, well, I got rid of that. Yeah, well, you only need the odd leaf for chicken cacciatore, so the bay tree is probably not as important as the orange tree could be. But, yeah, I don't know what else to suggest. I mean, all you can do is sit and wait now for the orange tree. And give it plenty of more water. Give them plenty of water at this time of the year because the ground is drying up rather badly. I know at home my ground's becoming completely hydrophobic. Even even though when I stick my finger in, it's... A little bit damp underneath? Yeah, look, I, I, I think you need to go deeper than that to yes, check whether okay. there's actually oh, think, moisture yes. down there. Because oh, uh, it may be all right in the very surface because the roots tend to be a little below that. And so it may well be dry below. And the, and the little baby oranges that are on it, and there are quite a lot, should I just leave them? You're probably not going to do much harm. I, I don't think. I mean, And they'll drop off. If they'll the drop off if stressing, it, yeah, it'll, it'll drop them themselves. Drop yeah. Makes a marmalade. <laughs> a bit small for marmalade, I would think. Uh, but nonetheless, yeah, I just let nature take its course at the moment and just give everything a good dose of the seaweed emulsion uh, and keep it well watered and see what happens. As a, oh, I mean, we've still got time for things to shoot, but I wouldn't do any more major pruning now. 
No, and and also the, I've got a couple of plum trees that have been behaving rather strangely too. Um, the last couple of years, the the one that they were self-sown, um, I used to get a tremendous lot of plums, and then last year and this year I just didn't get any. It was a bad year for plums this year. My, most of my blossom actually got blown off mm. the tree. Yeah, yeah. And mine I, didn't fruit terribly well. I usually well. get masses of mm. good plums, and I got six, I think. So, I think you'll find that's climate related. Oh. And there's nothing you can do no. about that. No. Uh, other than whinge. <laughs> and my garlic. Oh dear, my garlic. Started, oh. <laughs> my garlic started off so well. I got three lots of different lots from diggers, and you know, because I've always got them from that, and they were doing marvelously. And then all of a sudden, they just sort of deteriorated, and I just got little miser- miserable bulbs, you know, that haven't really divided. The the elephant garlic is does quite well, but I it's don't worry about It's hard to kill the elephant garlic. It's hard to kill the elephant garlic. Well, I'd rely on that. I just leave it. It's fine. But I'm really disappointed about my other garlic because it's it, was doing so well. It was a tough year for garlic this year, um, just because of um, uh, heat at the wrong time and yeah. dumps of rain. And it was garlic likes predictable climate because it adapts to the soil and climate that you put it into. Um, so, yeah, a lot of garlic growers lost a lot of their crops this year. So yeah. it, you don't give up. Um, try again, and particularly if you've still got some of those some of those bulbs if you haven't eaten them all oh um, no no i've still got i'm yeah, still re- keeping them replant them um you know p- break them into cloves and replant them and with any luck they'll have adapted a bit better to your well, climate yeah i well. always use the same garlic cloves each year i don't buy yeah. fresh ones every year because they adapt to my garden mm. uh, you know i'm having a lot of trouble hearing you i think it must be my telephone yeah d- joan I replant my own garlic every year, so I save some of the bulbs back and I replant them every year because they adapt to your garden soil. If you buy always, fresh I ones, I always do that. Oh, well, you just said you bought them from diggers no, every I year. No, because the, I didn't. It didn't have a. I didn't have any left. I gave too many away. Ah, well, that, that, that was foolish. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so always replant your own garlic because it adapts to your soil. Yes, oh, well, um, yes, I'll do that. Well, look, thank you very much for all that information. Okay then. Bye. Thank you. Goodbye. Right. Uh, just a reminder there, we are having a subscriber drive um, this uh, today. Uh, it's been running all week. Um, this is the best way of supporting 3CR and uh, the gardening show. Uh, cost, uh, and this is for a full 12-month subscription, um, $35 if uh uh, you're unwaged or uh, as a concession, $70 if you're fully waged. And uh, we are having two really beautiful books that uh, people, anyone who rings in to subscribe or renew their subscription this morning will go into the draw for one of those two Tell books. Tell you what, if they don't do it, I'll take the books. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Very happy to have them. <laughs> so that number, 94190155, 419-0155. We've also had a message on the outside line to say that uh, a lady rang in to say that she um, that she eats immature pumpkins, that it's fine, and she particularly uses them in stir fries. No, well, there you so go. So there we go. Yep, excellent. Learn something every day. Of course you do. <laughs> of course you do. Let's go next to uh, John, who's uh, in Vermont. Good morning, John. Good morning. 
How are you all going? We're well, thank you. <laughs> That's good. I just had a question. I've got a deck in the backyard that gets a lot of sun on it during the day. And I was thinking of building a little sort of wire framer over the top of it mm-hmm. and planting some grapes just to shade it. Mm-hmm. But last week you were talking about the hops vines. And I didn't have a chance to call in to ask if that, if that would be another option. Yeah, hops would be an option, but you'd, you'd need to put in, oh, maybe, depending on how big your pergola is, certainly more than one. You'd, you'd probably only put one grape in, but to cover a pergola, you'd probably want to put, I don't know, maybe three or four separate plants in. Um, and they do they do go straight up. Um, so once and, and, and once they get to the once they get to a you know a, a substantial trellis, they will spread out a bit. But when they first come up, they just they just they rock it out of the ground. But no, they're they're a really good one, and they they fall completely to bits in the winter. So unlike a grapevine, you, yeah, so you, you don't really got have that infrastructure yeah, up there in the winter. You, so it lets all alike. So it's a lot less work than a grapevine actually, because it'll just except for the suckery. <laughs> Can I just say? <laughs> I think hops are wonderful. I've actually got four different cultivars because yeah. we're just starting. You haven't starting got the silver variegated to, one. No, have you? no, no. Oh, these are named. On, these one. are named <laughs> cultivars oh, for, yeah. for beer. Yeah. So for ma- for making beer. So I've got um, four different cultivars now growing. Through, yeah. One I've one's had called in Four X. One's called. No, they've, they've they've got some quite interesting names which I've temporarily forgotten. But um, the thing that you've got to watch with hops is that you have to clear the detritus from the vines completely off whatever they've grown over each year because they die back to nothing. Mm. So it's not like pruning back a grapevine. You've actually got to cut it off at the base and you've got to pull all, all of it down. everything down mm. and quite, get quite rid of it. So job, it, it is, depends what it's twined yeah, through. Okay. Yeah. So you know, yeah, so I, if you put chicken wire one, up there, it yeah, would be a nightmare. And one place that I planted it, we actually had a, a sort of funny flagpole that we used to fly the dirty nappy on, which was a bit of a family joke. But I grew hops <laughs> up this flagpole and it was really quite yeah, hard nice. climbing up the flagpole yeah. to get the hops down. But um, so there's that, and there's also the fact that they suck it. They you suck can, it like fury. You can get a huge plant going over three or four years that can be somewhat out of control because mm. they just keep coming yeah. up. I've they got the gold leaf one grow in up the garden, else and, and it pops up everywhere. Yeah. Um, so you've got to be prepared to deal with that too. Mm. So it, you've got to decide whether these characteristics are what you want, and mm. maybe you'd be better mm. off with the grape. And I have to say, with the grapevines, I mean, if you're going to grow a commercial sort of edible grape, you've also got the issues of mildew. You've yeah, got those dreadful right. caterpillars, mm. uh, which drive me nuts, and they also attack the ornamental grapevine as well. Uh, and if they, if you've got decking underneath it, and they drop to the ground, and you stand on them, you end up with green sludge all over your, <laughs> all over your patio. So there are issues with either of these plants if you're going to put them in. So you need to be aware of, of the potential problems. And, of course, an edible grape, unless you're picking the bunches of grapes too, you end up with lots of squishy grapes dropping to the ground. Yeah, I know, at the end of the season. Yeah, so unless you've picked all your grapes, you've got a, a, an issue with stained patios and things with uh, with grapes and things that have been squished into the into the timber work or to the stone work or whatever you've got underneath. Um, so you've got to consider the all the downsides and remembering that climbers, whatever climber you plant, is going to require attention. Yeah. Uh, climbers are like puppies; they're not just for Christmas. And so they, they, with um, the hops, though, they they don't sit out shooters like uh, the grapevines do, or they or they do. Is that how they? They come up from shoots from the rhizomes under the ground, and so they can send rhizomes feet under the ground if the mm. ground is in good condition, and they'll come up feet away. Oh right, but as a canopy, they 
do they grow up in one sort of lateral cane or they... no they have a lot no, of canes that come lots. up from the roots mm. they have a, have a lot so i'd need to train it up a pole yeah, you'd need to sort of wind them up the pole or whatever and then You don't across. need to train it, it does it itself. <laughs> yes, it does a lot of that. <laughs> Untrainable plant. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah, so, yeah, and, you know, I can imagine hops being one of those things that you plant with a uh, gay abandon and then spend a lot of time regretting it later if you don't keep tabs on them because they they are incredibly vigorous. And oh, okay. I, I had to dig one out of my yard when I've been renoing and it, the plant was only about three years old but geez it was an effort to get it yeah. out. Oh yeah because the rhizomes go over <laughs> yeah, and they're like yeah. boot laces they're, they're really strong. Absolutely. And uh, yeah so if you're planting hops as much as it sounds like a really quite good idea mm-hmm. uh, you do have to consider all of their wayward ways as yeah. well. And, okay. and can I just say, that if you want to harvest the strobilis, you need to plant female plants because mm. you can get male and female plants. So if yeah. you're buying um, it because you want to harvest the strobilis, which is what's used in the in beer, in beer yeah. um, you need to make sure you've got a female plant. So you need to buy it from a reputable supplier. Oh, okay. And they label it male and female? Well, you, they should. Yeah, they should. You need to ask that question, whether this yeah. is a male or a female plant, and if they don't know, don't buy it. Because mm. yep. specifically, it be if you want your strobilis, you need the male, the okay. female plants. And one other question about uh, jacaranda I've got in the backyard as well. It was here when we um, moved into the house about 15 years ago, and it's, it's sort of starting to get a bit big. I was just wondering, is there a way of containing it? And is the roots well, you, sort of lifting you up? Can you can prune, but what do you mean it's getting big? I mean, is, is it just getting big and you're frightened that it's big or is it growing uh, into things or? Oh, it's just getting, yeah, it's just getting big. I'm wondering if it's going to get too big. Yeah. How far away from the house is it? Uh, about two metres. Yeah. I think people worry about the size of trees far too much. I mean, I want trees to grow over my house and shade it and give me passive solar use mm. and all that sort of thing. I mean, yeah. if you could, if if you come to visit my house <laughs> and you see the trees that I've got all around my house, and I've got some big old gum trees that were on the block when I bought them uh, or bought it, um, and I live with them. I mean, if you prune it all back, you you're going to ru- potentially ruin the shape of a jacaranda. They, they don't like oh, being yeah. pruned, really. They yeah. put up a lot of vertical growth that just ruins their, their yeah. beautiful natural yeah. form, really, when people go at them with a pruning saw. So I would advise against it. As yeah, well. I, yeah, I think I'm with James on this. I think mm-hmm. um, enjoy the tree. Um, it'll be somebody else's problem if it grows really big. Um <laughs> You know, the next person who comes along after you. Um, but I would be relishing it because jacarandas actually cause or create rather beautiful shade. It's light and oh, it's airy glorious. shade. Uh, and they are just such pretty trees. And if they're left alone to do their own thing, they can be stunning. But if they're pruned and chopped, they end up as truncated sort of washing line looking things. They're really hideous. And quite honestly, if you ever go to sell your house, it'll be a selling point. Yeah. You, you put it on the market when that, that tree is out in flower and... Um, yeah, it, people will go all squishy and they'll go, pay you more. Oh, yes, exactly. People love jacarandas. They're yeah. beautiful things. Yeah, so I don't think I would. I just enjoy it. I mean, it's not causing any issues as far as I can work out. Uh, it's other than the fact that it's getting big and, yeah. and, and that's what it does. I mean, that's its nature. Yeah, okay. So, so I would live with it and enjoy it. Uh, does it flower well? Oh, beautiful flower. Yeah, well, don't touch it, I'm envious, John. Yes, just enjoy it. They are truly beautiful trees, and I'm jealous as hell because I can't grow them at Mount Massey. That's good. All right. Well, thanks for all that advice. That's a pleasure. Okay. Okay. Bye. Bye.
All right, let me see. We've got, goodness me, our very good friend, uh, Tony from Nutfield. Good morning, Tony. Uh, good morning, Pam. I hope you're keeping well. Oh, on and off. Yeah, we right. haven't heard from you for a while. No, it's good to hear from you. Um, I, I'm ringing about our cucumbers. Yep. Um, we're getting very good crop, but also we're getting uh, sort of white on the leaves. I think it might be powdery mildew. Mm-hmm. Probably is. Um, we want to know what to do with it. How can we can we prevent it? Or no, just live with it. <laughs> I mean, all the cucurbits start to get powdery mildew as the colder climate or as colder here. weather comes mm. in, um, and they're annuals, so they're going to be dead anyway in, in no time. Would you do anything, Penny? Oh, look, it depends how early it starts, and if mm. you're trying to get a few more fruit off. Um, it, when you first see it, if you remove the worst affected leaves, that yeah, will that help to help. stop mm. it from spreading. And you can spray it with a nine-to-one milk mixture. It will help to delay it as well. Oh, but you, what was that, milk? Milk. milk. So any milk. Um, and as long it's, as it's not it's, soy. It's, <laughs> no. One part, one part milk to nine parts water, and you just spray it on the leaves. Obviously not in the late afternoon because that will exacerbate it because it will stay moist overnight. But first thing in the morning... Um, and it just it stops the it stops mm. it from spreading. If you do that once a week, you may get a few more weeks out of your mm. cucumbers. But they are in their natural senescence anyway. Yeah. And and you've got to, I guess, from my perspective, I always look at these things and say, is it worth the effort for one or two more cucumbers? You know, so yes. uh, I would I would say no because I've got too many other jobs to do. <laughs> um, and yeah, so if you've got plenty of time, you can do these things. But yeah, you know, you don't always have a lot of time, and I certainly don't. We're getting plenty of cucumbers. Oh, well, just enjoy Good. the cucumbers. Yeah. And and spray if you want to. It's not going to do any harm. No, it's so, not going to do any harm. And, and, but don't start spraying fungicides around. No, the absolutely place. don't. Just use the milk. Mm. All right. Okay, thank you very much. Good on you. Okay, bye. Bye. Okay, Stephen, a query for you from the outside line. Um, Rhonda, um, she wants to move a viburnum microfilum. Uh, it's about four metres, I presume, Ooh. tall. About 10 years old, uh, she's grown it from tiny, she's moving and would like to try and also wants to know how. Oh, God. Uh, that particular viburnum has a particularly weak root system. Uh, it does it's not, not shift well. not going to be happy. No, it's not going to be happy. Um, again, it's a sort of a matter of is it worth the risk for a plant that you could possibly buy a young one that's a nice, healthy young plant. And uh, nurture it yeah, up. And, yeah, and support your local nurserymen. Uh, not that I'm trying to angle for more sales, but there you go. Um, I don't think it's worth the effort personally. Um, if, but if she wants to try moving it, she'd need to cut it back by at least half, um, dig it up in the winter. Um, so if she's moving to somewhere else, she needs to be there at least until sort of end of May, early June, uh, and then try and dig it out with a reasonably intact root system underneath it. But I warn you, they don't have a good root system, so they're inclined to be sort of a bit funny. That's actually why you don't see Viburnum macrocephalum for sale very often because it's actually not that easy to propagate. Uh, And so you have to do a bit of hunting around to get a good young plant uh, because it's really hard to strike them Uh, So because they don't produce a good root system. Yeah. So I, my gut feeling is it's not likely to be terribly successful because even if it survives the shift, you're going to set it back rather badly. And, it, you know, even if it survives, it might take two or three years to even build stamina back into it again, uh, if that's going to happen at all. Uh, whereas if you buy a nice young one in an eight-inch pot, um, 
you know, for 25 or 30 bucks, um, you've it's got a young, to vigorous to plant. It's surroundings yeah. and it's, it'll, and it'll be take much off. And yeah. also, it's not a particularly pretty bush. It's a bit ungainly, the plant itself. And when you hack it back like you're going to have to to shift it, it's going to take years before the bush even looks vaguely attractive again. So there's that side of it as well. So you're, you're gonna, really saying don't do it. I wouldn't. I, I just think life's too short to do those I mean, things. Maybe I mean, leave it there for the next person. Yeah, and hope that they, well, it. as long as they're not building a whole set well, of units yeah. on the block or whatever. Um, but, um, yeah, it might be nice for leaving it there for the next person if they are, in fact, vaguely interested in gardening because it's a beautiful shrub. I mean, these huge, big white heads of flower that mm. macrocephalon get uh, and they last for months on the plant it's just lovely in flower but yeah it's just one of those temperamental plants that i think i'd just start off with a young one yep i think it's the way to go yep good okay james you brought yes, in a he's plant got something really really yeah. pretty here that yes. i love let's talk about it i um this is the first time i've flowered this i've only had it for just just over a year i think i planted it last autumn um uh, uh, Almost brilliant by name, but definitely brilliant by nature. But it's Brillant, Brillantasia is the is the genus. Okay, um, and it's it's not named after the brilliant flowers. It was named after a uh, I think it was a French botanist, yeah, something like that. Br- yes, brilliant, it's... brilliant Marion, I think was his last name. He was an explorer in Eastern Africa, where where this is from. Um, it's native to uh, Uganda and and that kind of region of Eastern Africa. Um, it's in the Acanthus family, um, so it's related to. Um, Oh, you know the 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 acanthus mollus that's ubiquitous around Melbourne, especially. Um, nowhere near as weedy, um, and nowhere near as, <laughs> as hardy either. I have to say, James. no. Yeah, we were having that conversation on the way in. Yeah. Stephen said he's he's tried to grow it, but um, it's oh, definitely the frost knocks it to Billy. Definitely yes. doesn't like the frost. Yeah. Um, but it grows as kind of a as a as an open open shrub with lots of vertical growth, and it's got this really beautiful. It's a bit salvia esque actually in its growth habit. A lot Absolutely. of those sort of yeah. uh, taller <laughs> salvias with that cane sort yes. of growth. The Brillantasia is very much it's, like it's, that. It's very reminiscent of that, absolutely. Mm. Um, but very easy to grow. I've got it in dappled shade. Um, it's got these really beautiful leaves um, that are kind of opposite and dicusset arrangement. They've got a nice serration on the edge. And the flowers on it are electric purple. Mm. Um, and they've been, it's been flowering for about six weeks in, mm. in the garden. It'll probably go for another month or so. Um, but a, a really, really beautiful plant. Very easy to strike from cuttings yeah. as well. I was say it looks like it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes, you could strike it in your hat. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> very easy. But it's not a plant you see very often. No. Um, no. And, and I wonder why, because it is, it is really Lack absolutely Lack of press yeah. is probably yeah. it. That's where a lot of good plants disappear is the fact that people aren't out there on radio or on in and newsprint talking about them, and yeah, talking absolutely. about them. Because uh, nurseries are inclined to follow what people are after, not mm. try and be trendsetters. Mm-hmm. I mean, they bring out their new releases, but they're nearly always new releases of something old anyway. So it's a new rose or a new salvia or a new whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to bring in a new genus that people aren't familiar with, sure, that actually takes time and effort to sell because you've got to explain it to people. Uh, and unless you've got a display garden in your nursery where you've got a big brilliantasia growing... <laughs> No one's going to want to buy it. Uh, yeah, when it's a little plant in a pot, its foliage is pleasant enough. But yeah. uh, I've got one in the nursery at the moment that I'm going to have another crack at keeping through the winter this year, which means okay. going into my greenhouse right, right. Uh, and even then probably dying. Um, and it's got lovely leaves on it, but I would not I would say one or two people have actually commented on it as they've gone past it. Okay. Whereas if it had its brilliant purpley-blue flowers on it, I reckon it would be walking out of my nursery. Mm. Yes. Uh, but then you need to grow it in sort of a 10 or 12-inch pot mm. to grow it up big 
big enough to, to get flower it to the science, yeah. You know, so it's going to be one of those plants that needs a good press agent because it's not going to be one of these potted colour things that's going to walk out of a nursery. Mm. Mm. Well, it's very well behaved. I'm just going to cut it back to the ground mm. um, after it's finished flowering, coming into winter, and then it just starts all over again. It is like very, very reminiscent of the larger salvias in that regard in its care. It's almost plectranthusy too. Yes. It, it's got a little bit of, I, when I first saw it, I wondered if it was Yeah, um, and which is interesting because it's not in the same family no, of plants no, being no, in a canthaceae. Yeah. So it's, yeah. it's in a quite different group. But you're right, it's got that whole salvia-y plectranthusy yeah. feel about it. Yeah. Um, uh, but not related. It's often referred to as a giant salvia, but mm. you know, erroneously. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, yes, I hope that doesn't... If it ever does take off as a garden plant, I hope it doesn't get sold as giant <laughs> salvia. Giant salvia. <laughs> it, it, it'll just confuse the oh, issue no gosh, end. Yes. It's like that plectranthus called, uh, what is it, Mona lavender, and everybody thinks it's a lavender. lavender. Mm. And it confuses people no end. It doesn't confuse the caterpillars. They love it. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Every time I've planted it, it yeah. they just smash it. Every Do they time. really? Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Because yeah. that's a pretty plant. It is uh, gorgeous. I think yeah. badly named, but a pretty plant. Mm. Uh, but, you yeah, know, the brilliant Taisy is lovely. And I was saying to James as we came in, when I went to Madagascar last year, we stopped over in Mauritius for a few days uh, and tootled around and had a look. And we went to look at a local waterfall. Uh, and all down along the creek, considering it comes from Uganda, not Mauritius, uh, is Brilliantasia growing mm. all down this sort of really humid, mm. moist, semi-shaded sort of creekside. And it was stunning. Wow. But it obviously wasn't native. Yeah. So it's, you know, in some really tropical areas it could take a off weed. as a weed. Mm. Uh, it certainly will never do so in Melbourne, as far as I can work <laughs> out. <laughs> so it's perfectly safe here. But, yes, if you live in tropical north Queensland, it's probably not a good idea to plant Brilliantasia, no, I guess. No. Uh, unless somebody's already done and it's taken off across half of Queensland. Uh, but it is a stunning plant. And mm. there's a lot of things in that family that we should be considering because it's a huge family. It's a good, it's a really good family and it's as got well, some I great, reckon. great plants in Macaya it. Macaea bella is one of my favourites oh, in that family. Fabulous Just shrub. Beautiful, beautiful yeah. plant. So, yeah, so the acanthaceae is lovely, and I do like Brilliantasia. I think it's a great plant. Mm. What's the other leaf you've got there, James? I've got a... Um, I've got a leaf of the dinner plate fig. Um, I've got it growing in a big pot at home, a very big pot. Um, it would need to be a fairly big pot. It's a big pot. It's going to need to get bigger. It's a, it's a three-person lift whenever we do have to shift oh, it gosh. around. But we've hopefully got it in a spot where it's going to stay permanently now. And, okay. Um, but it's it's one that's being grown a lot as an indoor plant I've seen a lot in the last six months to a mm. year. And I, I think it would go I think it would go all right indoors. But, look, it's really, it's really beautiful. It's from... Um, it's from New Guinea, and this is this is this is a small leaf. I was going to say, I've seen them even morning. bigger than that. Yes, um, I've I've got several that are really large, but I couldn't I couldn't bring myself to cut cut one of them off and bring it in because no, it just fair enough. kind of put the whole. Well, it is on radio, balance, so it doesn't yeah. matter. You could have said you picked the biggest leaf; nobody would know. <laughs> but it's a it's a gorgeous plant. You're seeing it around a lot more often. Um, very easy to grow. Not that easy to propagate, which is why the specimens that you'll pick up are quite expensive. Right. Um, but Basically, they, you've got to aerial layer them, and you've got to aerial layer them for quite a while before you mm. before you cut. Well, off. that sounds expensive. Yes, yeah. that's right. So, but but really, really gorgeous foliage. Um, the the ones that I've got on the plant at home are four times the size of this, and and beautiful. So, probably so a meter. How big? Oh, this is so. This leaf that I've brought in is probably about half a meter yeah. from end to end. So, yeah. So. yeah. so they could probably get up to about a meter. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and really. Half a meter wide. Really Sorry. dramatic. Yeah. Yeah. So they're obviously a good thing for the atoms out there that think that they need a big fig leaf. <laughs> <laughs> yes, no, I'll leave that one alone. <laughs> <laughs> so does it? 
produce fruit? It does produce fruit. Uh, mine hasn't yet. Um, I'm, I'm not sure if the fruit is edible, actually. Not um, all figs are. No. 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 That's right. Um, but I, I, I'm, I imagine that it would fruit. I've got a feeling I've seen the fruit on it in the – there's a plant in the Botanic Gardens on and it. And it almost looks like a medlar, the fruit. Yeah, it. It's, yeah. it's sort of small and woody looking. Yeah. Um, and like most figs, sort of attached to the stems. Mm, mm. Um, I'm sure the one in the Melbourne Botanic Gardens has had fruit on right. it. Right, so, okay. Uh, but it didn't look very appetising from what I can remember. Mm-hmm. Mm. But lovely tree. Yep. Beautiful thing. And it's doing very well in the gardens there. Yeah, so right. Sheltered spot, getting plenty of light. It so does need a bit of shelter mm. and definitely shelter from the afternoon sun. Yeah. The, the leaves burn quite easily in, in the hot weather. Um, so we've got ours in kind of dappled shade and definitely shielded from the mm. afternoon sun. And I would imagine it wouldn't be very happy if it got strong blasts of wind either with those huge No, leaves. it does catch the wind mm. quite badly. Mm. Um, and I noticed as well where I had it originally... Um, it was it was bumping into an ornamental grape that was nearby, and I noticed that when the leaves were were unfurling, and the way the way they grow, they grow in this sheath that comes out the top of each stem, which is itself quite attractive. And then it the, the leaves unfold like a little concertina or something. Mm. It's really beautiful. Mm. It's they're pleated as they're as they're unfurling. It's just gorgeous. Um, and I noticed that if any of those leaves hit anything as they were growing, then they'd just they'd be deformed and horrible and I'd have to cut them off because yeah. they just look really terrible. So it really needs its own little space. It does need its own little space and it needs to be left alone. Yeah. But it, but a but a good one. Gorgeous gorgeous plant. Um can you repeat the botanical name? Because someone's asked where is it in the Botanic Gardens? Right. And the Botanic Gardens has a really good search where it, you can actually look it up. And it'll tell you where. And it'll yeah. tell you yeah. where Yeah, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head. I know how to walk is. over to it. Yeah. I can sort of visualise yeah. so where it is. So as long as you've got the botanical name. <clears throat> it's yeah. Fy- Ficus damaropsis. Right. I think it's D-A-M-M-E-R-O-P-S-I-S. Yeah, that sounds about right. But even if you put in ficus, it'll come up with where all the ficus are in the botanic gardens. Right, And you can recognise it. Well, it's certainly worth a visit. It's a really, really pretty tree. And a hard hard plant to miss as well. Oh, yes, if you're walking along the right path, you will see that ficus. (laughs) I I assure you, it sort of stands out. Okay, excellent. Mm. Great plant. All right, we are running through until 9.15. If anyone wants to jump on the phones and give us a quick call, 9419 That's 9419 0155. Stephen? Pa- Pam, can yeah, I just sorry. mention, we, we do have some Tasmanian listeners, don't we? we yes, go to, yes. Tasmania. we go to northern yeah. Tasmania, yes. Because next week is the Cunha Garlic Festival. Okay. Which is on the Tasman Peninsula, so if you're in the north of Tasmania, you'd need to go down if you wanted to wanted to go. But it's a fan, it's been... It's, I think it's its fourth or fifth year this year. Um, I'm going over this week and, and will be at the festival giving a talk as well as judging. They actually um, get um, home growers and, and commercial growers to submit garlic, their garlic, and we judge which are the best. Ooh. Which and are the, the best home growers beat the commercial ones. Yeah. Well, 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 it's, it's very it's, possible it can be done. It's going to be interesting. Yeah, yeah. Oh, indeed. Because Absolutely. a home grower can often put more time and effort yep. into yes. a small yep. patch of garlic than yes. somebody who's got acres. Yep. And Definitely. The, and the mm. thing about Tassie is that they have some really unusual garlics. So if you're in Tassie um, and you want to go down to the festival, you'll see some fabulous garlics down there this year. So, so I, that's I, next I just weekend. This is next Saturday. Next Saturday. Right. Yeah. Have the so growers in Tassie had a hard time as well? They've season? all had, they've a, all hard had a hard time. time right? Yeah, Tassie's really struggled because it's been so cold. Mm. Garlic bulbs on two things that increase day length and temperature. Mm-hmm. And most days it hasn't got over about 15 to 18 degrees. Oh dear. 
in Tassie. Well, they just haven't, chuffed, haven't a reasonable had the crop hot, of garlic then. <laughs> yeah, haven't had the hot weather for, for the really good bulbing. So mm, there's hey. some nice garlic around, but a lot of it's small. Mm-hmm. Um, and they also had rain at difficult times, yeah. and there was quite a bit of flooding. So some of the garlic growers lost their, half their crops to flooding. Oh, dear. So, mm. But anyway, um, look, we're celebrating garlic again, but this time in Tassie yes. next, <laughs> next week, this week. Um, so, yeah, next, next Saturday, the 25th, I think. Must is be that about the, that. The date, yeah. the, whatever the Saturday date is. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. Well, so those so, who are already down there, or those who might right, think they'd like, like to go to, go to Tassie, down there. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Why yeah, not? It's indeed. a good time to be there. Yeah. 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 Now, actually, it does raise an interesting thing because Australia is suddenly becoming so garden or uh, garlic oriented again, um, and you know these festivals are all starting to happen, and it's all going on. Uh, what do you think is the real push that's created this particular interest in garlic in this generation? Because for years we yeah, so it's the whole foodie thing, yep. is it? Yeah, so yeah. people it's are realizing the, it's they're realizing that garlic's not just garlic. Mm. That garlic, we have over a hundred different cultivars that we can actually name now, and mm. there's probably closer to three hundred, mm. um, and they all have different flavour profiles. So yeah. you know, if you really love your garlic, you can buy or grow a whole range of different yeah. garlics. So it's not just that white stuff ways. from China that's been fum- no. fumigated. And, and people are prepared to pay for home-grown garlic. Yeah. So that's the other difference. So it's that it's organic that push as well. That sort it's of, the organic mm. and, the, and the fact that they understand that a lot of the imported, well, all the imported garlic is sprayed with methyl bromide. Um, a lot of them are bleached. They have other things done to them. Um, whereas if you're buying Australian-grown garlic, you're you're getting the original, so you're getting much better flavour mm. as well. Mm. So those two things. But yeah, it's the it's the fact that people want to buy Australian and that they that they recognise that garlic is not just garlic. And with anymore. food items, we should be doing that anyway. It seems yep. absurd to be bringing, you know, things, particularly things that will store like garlic from yep. way over the other Indeed. side of the world. We, yep. we can grow, harvest, store, sell, do all those things here. Yep. Uh, and yes, as long yep. as people are prepared to pay a little bit of a premium price for the product. Yep. And why not if it's good? Yep. Indeed. Mm. Now, also, listeners, just remember there's only a few minutes to go until we have to do a draw oh, of yes. a couple of these books. If you want to jump on the phones and support 3CR, become a listener sponsor for the next 12 months. Um, we'd love to welcome you on board. You do get uh, um, uh, a copy of the um, copies of the uh, the magazine, the Cram Guide. You do get discounts at some of the local businesses. You get to have a say in three CR and the running of three CR, and uh, you're of course supporting three CR and the gardening show. Now, the cost of that uh, subscription is thirty five dollars uh, concession or unwaged, or seventy dollars for waged. Uh, the number to call is 94190155. That's 94190155. We'd love to welcome you aboard as a subscriber to the station. Uh, Stephen, we've just oh, got a moment for uh, another plant. Well, we might talk about this little thing I've got here, which for a long time was known as Corydalis elba. And it's a little perennial, short-lived perennial, doesn't go on for many, many years, um, that has the rather endearing habit of self-seeding itself just gently into little soil-filled crevices and spots around the garden where you'd never get anything planted. Uh, But it finds its way in, into dry stone walls and all sorts of places like that, but never in vast quantities, so it never becomes a problem. It has fine grey maidenhair-like foliage, just grows into a sort of a clumpy plant, probably about 20 centimetres each way, and it gets these very pretty little white flowers with a yellow centre, 
almost like a tiny snapdragon to look at. Mm. Um, now, it was Corydalis alba. It is now Pseudofumeria alba. Oh. Um, the Corydalis group has had the taxonomists working on it recently, and there's a whole series of new genera um, um, with Corydalises and dicentras and, and that whole sort of bleeding heart plant yes. family. Yes. Uh, they've been split up and shoved all over oh, the place. Oh, dear. Uh, so this was Corydalis alba, now Pseudofumeria, and the Fumerias, of course, are part of that family as well uh, and it's just one of these pretty little things you'll see it when you go to England particularly you'll see it growing into dry stone walls and mm. uh, up the sides of ancient ruins and, and all sorts Such of funny Such a gorgeous pl- plant I really mm. love it. It's a really pretty little thing and it's little white and yellow flowers are cheery they flower off and on almost all year round I mean they tend to rest in the winter a bit but there seems to almost always be flowers on it uh, never in vast quantities it never makes a huge show but it's just one of those pretty little plants and, and I love plants that have that habit of placing themselves mm. uh, where they can be really pretty and attractive uh, all of their own accord. It just gives the garden that sort of natural sense, mm. which I really mm. love. So so the Pseudofumeria, which you'll still probably, if you buy it anywhere, I'm not sure who's selling it anymore. I'd do it, but I don't know whether there's many people selling it. Uh, but if you see it anywhere, it'll still probably be under Corydalis L because it's only a comparatively new name change. But me being the pedant I am, I try and keep up with the changes of names where possible. So, yes, yeah, so I've written out new labels with pseudofumeria, which is actually harder to say and longer to spell on labels, unfortunately. <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah, I quite like it when they change the name and it's something short Simple. and snappy. Yep, 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 exactly. <laughs> it helps me no end. But, right. you know, when Capressus cashmeriana becomes Capressus himalamicus subspecies Darjeeling gensis. Fit that on a label. Yeah, that's fun. I've got to have the really long labels to write <laughs> that on. Uh, that annoys me when people do that. But Fair anyhow. enough. Okay, let's get to a couple of callers very quickly. Uh, First up, we've got Virginia online from Seville. Good morning, Virginia. Good morning, Pam. I just thought I'd ring up about the thicket, the fig. Yes. Oh, yes. Because there's several of those in the garden. Oh, there is more than one. I've only seen the one. We walked, the one we walked past, Stephen, was at the very end of the lake, just down the bottom from underneath Government House. Oh, yes, I think that's the one I know about. Mm. Yes. So if anybody is looking for one simply without going onto the website, there's also there's also a specimen now that I think of it at the um, at the shrine. There were those gardens, series of gardens that they oh, did yes. there last year, um, and there's there's quite a good specimen in one of those little yes. gardens as well. Yeah. Yes, they grow very well in the botanic, and some of them are in quite a lot. The one that's at the end of the lake, underneath gov- government house, is in quite a lot of sun, which yeah. surprises me because with that leaf, you'd think they mm. have to be an understory plant. Mm. But they're, and they're beautiful. Mm. And, of course, like all figs, the flower is internal to the fig, mm. unlike any other yes. plant. Mm. Yes, of course. So they're quite an exciting plant, I think. Okay. So, so for that person who's looking, go to Government House and just walk all the way to the lake, and there it is. Brilliant. And it's labelled. Brilliant. Thanks Good. for that, Virginia. Bye. Okay, bye. Bye. And uh, let's see, we have Joe, who's out in Taylor's Lakes. Good morning, Joe. Yeah, good morning, everybody. How's everyone? Good. Yes. Uh, you'll have to be fairly quick, yes, Joe. Yes. Just regarding my, my crepe myrtles um, not flowering, um, I've got three varieties. Uh, the white one, uh, the, the Natchez, is, is flowering, but my other two, the red red colour and the mauve colour, aren't flowering. I'm just wondering what, what, what could be causing it not to flower. I don't know that it's a great crepe myrtle year. 
because yeah. it has been damper, cooler, and what have you. I've noticed a few around that have got some flowers on them, but I haven't actually seen a crepe myrtle at the moment mm. that is a mass. They're just starting at the moment. Yeah, yeah. so uh, you may just find it's having a rest year. I, I'm, I certainly never panic about things that have a, a year off. Yeah. Uh, it's when they have five or six years off in a row that I start <laughs> to panic then. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know that I'd be worrying too much, Joe. I yeah. think, you know, just be patient with them, and yeah. as long as they're out in a good sunny aspect and as long as yeah. they've got reasonably good drainage. Crepe myrtles are pretty hard to, to kill, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they'll settle down and flower in their own accord. How, how old are they, Joe? Oh, look, uh, they're, they're probably a good uh, six, uh, eight years old. Yeah, so they should, they should be flowering quite well by this yeah, point yeah. in time. So I just see a lot around that have just got masses of flowers, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, look, I just think you've been unfortunate this year. I think they'll settle down yeah, and do their yeah. thing for you next year. So. Okay. Just, just accept that you're going to have a rest season and they'll probably look really pretty in the autern when their leaves turn. Yeah. Just quick question, do they need generally a lot of watering or the... No. no. Tough as. Um, I mean, you know, most things will take some water. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you're prepared to go out there and water them, well, they won't do them any harm as long as it drains away. Yeah. But they're very drought tolerant. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Right. Thanks, Bye. Thank you. Oh, Bye. look, we have, we have to go. One minute. Um, James, pick a number between one oh. and six. Uh, right, right. Do you want me to tell you it, or is yes. this yes. kind of a card No, trick? no, no, right. tell okay, me number four. <laughs> number four? Okay. Um, Jill Bentley in Milton South, you've uh, picked up one of these two books. Congratulations, and thank you for becoming a subscriber. Penny? Uh, two. Two? Okay, that goes to Olwen McQueen in Bo Morris. Congratulations to Olwen and you've also become a subscriber, and you'll get one of these two books. Now, you do need to either pick up the book during office hours from 3CR. Um, Nobody said they'll pick it up from you, Stephen, so I'll presume they're both being collected from CR. So thank you to all our listeners for for, uh, participating in that. I know those two people are going to love the books. We have to fly. It's been uh, rather a hectic week this morning. But, of course, we'll be back next week. Until then. So bye for now.